welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where it ain't over until the final credits roll. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. So we're here at episode 6. Last week we had the nominees come out, and a lot's happened since then. Um, you know, this episode will go over the current standings uh, for Slight Astronomers 3 Community Tracker, where everyone's standing. Um, we'll go over the awards shows that have actually happened thus far this season, namely the Golden Globes, the Eddies for the editing, uh, the PGA for production, and the SGA for the Screen Guild just actors for the acting awards. Um, and we'll see how those affect the race. It's kind of, you know, this narrative been shaping up a two-man race for uh, Best Picture. Um, so we'll see what that's looking like. Um, we'll talk about movies that I've seen, you know, uh, before the nominations come out for the most part, actually. So stuff I hadn't, I had seen, hadn't yet talked about. Um, these are almost all the technical films. There's like two technical films. One that's purely technical film nomination. I still have to watch. It'll be next week. Um, we'll have wrapped up all of the guy, uh, the male acting categories, supporting and, and lead, um, as well as all the animated films for the ones that I missed uh, beforehand. So uh, without further ado, let's hop into it. So if you haven't already checked out the Oscars Death Race subreddit, you can find that user SlightAstronomer3 has created a Google form you can use, uh, which uh, allows you to track your progress. Um, and it's also linked to a site if you choose to allow it, um, where you can see your performance against other members of the community and how they're doing in their race. You know, give the word race in the Oscars Death Race have some actual meaning to it. Uh, so as of right now, there are 44 total players. Um, I am... Uh, currently at 27 out of 53 films completed uh, all of them features no uh, sort no sorts yet for about a 68.38 percent completion rate with about 25.07 hours worth of viewing to do go um, this double counts films that count for more than one category um, the average is about 32 uh, out of 53 films with about a 64.11 completion rate and 29.59 hours to go so i'm a little bit above average there in fact, there are actually, uh, my bad, so there are 43 total users. The average user is out of 44 total would be placed at 26th. Uh, I'm right at 24. So hanging right in there, out of the, a little bit above average, um, as you do. Um, but looking at people who have exceeded expectations uh, and who are at, well, not exceeded expectations, but are at the head of the pack. Um, so out of 53 total films, 15 sorts, 38 feature films, um, we have a new first place leader in the board, uh, Dorky Romantic. They are at 49 uh, total films, 12 uh, sorts, and 37 features for 95.92%. Uh, so they're only actually one feature film away. Um, in second place, we have FSU Andrew, who on the other hand has uh, 14, 50 total films with 14 of the sorts. So one there, uh, but 36 uh, features, so missing two of those. So he has a 95.72% completion rate. And finally, in third place, we have last week's first place leader, Flanny, as well as the third place, uh, another leader, um, F person, uh, Farewell the Farewell. Both of them have four 49 total films, uh, 14 sorts, so also one away, but the 35 feature films, so 92.46. Looks like it might be the same one also. So, um, you know, pretty tight race to see if anyone's going to be able to actually get 100% uh, before the actual Oscars come around. I think I know which one uh, is giving people a problem there. Uh, and before we actually get into the films I've been watching and, and that I, I want to, you know, give a little bit of a couple words on, uh, you know, let's check in real quick on kind of the so-called, uh, I guess, leaderboard or kind of the indicators for what films are doing well uh, within this. And, you know, the best way to do that is to look at other award shows. Um, so, you know, obviously the first up, uh, this actually came out the day before the uh, 
the nominations last week, um, or slightly before, yeah, the, the weekend before the nominations last week. I didn't have a chance to include it in last week's show because we were kind of getting the time. Uh, but we have the Golden Globes. Uh, so for the Golden Globes, you know, um, you know, we'll just go through uh, the rundown real quick if you haven't seen them yet. Uh, 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood took Best Picture um, for uh, acting and uh, for comedy and and drama. Um, Opposite, respectively. I said that backwards. Um, Joker and Judy took Best Actor and Best Actress, which will be a recurring theme, as you see. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Marriage Story, another recurring uh, theme, will be the ones who are taking Best Supporting Actor and Actress. Um, As of right now, the leader for Best Director um, by these indicators is 1917. Sam Mendes uh, took the Golden Globe there. Um, And then the Best Screenplay for Golden Globes was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which... The Oscars splits it out, one for adapted, one for uh, original, and here the Golden Globes combine them. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the only one with a writing uh, screenplay award so far. Um, Joker took home Best Score, Rocket Man took home Best Song, Missing Link took home Best Animated, and Parasite took home Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, so these are all pretty expected and kind of set, you know, it's an early stage, um, you know, one of the one of the recurring noticeable things here is that Irishman and Marriage Story pretty much were almost entirely shut out except for Best Supporting Actress uh, for Laura Dern in Marriage Story. So this may be Netflix coming, maybe not doing as hotly as people were hoping uh, this uh, award season. Um, moving on to the next award, uh, we have the Eddie. Uh, which are done by the American Cinema Editors, which is a you know group of, of editors, um, you know, and they honor, honoring their own. Um, so in this case, there was uh, actually a, a pretty big win here uh, for Parasite, uh, who took home for drama, which is a pretty good indicator of, of that they might actually win up, end up winning best editing. Um, and then Jojo Rabbit, who took it home for comedy, uh, and Toy Story actually also received this one. So uh, kind of undo, um, you know taking one for Toy Story away from Missing Link. Um, the Production Guild Association had their awards also PGA. Um, 1917 took home the top Hawaii, top top award, uh, and Toy Story 4 took home uh, for animated. Um, and, uh, you know, quick shout out to Apollo 11, who was not nominated for a documentary feature, who I really think should have, if you listened to my episode last week. Uh, but shout out to them. Um, and then the biggest news probably is the Screen Guild Associ- uh, Awards. Um, for actors um so most of these are, are as we noted before kind of the expected ones joker for lead actor judy for lead actress once upon a time in hollywood for supporting actor and marriage story for supporting actress however the big deal here was that parasite uh ended up taking home best ensemble award which is kind of an indicator of how you know kind of the equivalent of best picture right um and so for parasite to to win that they're the first foreign film to receive the award um i think ever actually so that's a big big deal if you see if you've seen the the video um of the awards but you see bong joon ho the director being like a proud soccer dad holding up you know filming them on his iphone uh so super cute there um also side note just definitely check out uh leo uh, um Joaquin Phoenix's acceptance speech, uh, really touching. He he's really gracious and gave uh, some props to all of the other nominees. Um, which so it was a really good category, but he's just that much better. Um, so, you know, with this win for Parasite at the Eddies and at the SGA, while 1917 took home the the PGA awards, there's kind of been this narrative brewing that uh, it's kind of shaping up to be a two horse race, really, uh, with 
uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood kind of being, I guess, you know, if you had asked me, you know, I, I last week I thought there was going to be Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, and uh, 1917 as the front runners, um, just based on the number of nominations they had. But uh, Parasite's doing surprisingly well and might have some hidden support. So let's break this down real quick. Um, so in Parasite's favor, they have an edited nomination, which I believe there's some statistic about there that um, no, very few films have ever won Best Picture without at least an edited nomination. And for um, Parasite to have an actual chance at winning Best Editing and also having the editing nominations, which um, 1917 does not, um, maybe it is. Now, that said, the ones that have won Best Picture are those that are like, you know, long sought one thing. I believe it was Birdman a couple years ago, um, which uh, um, 1970 kind of falls into. So maybe that's why, without the edit nomination, it still does really well. Um, obviously, Parasite's eligible for international. 1917 is not, so that's not really a strength per se in terms of having a nomination versus not. Um, in fact, it might even be a curse that um, some people might decide to, hey, let's give the award to Parasite, but vote the other way for 1970 for Best Picture. So and then looking toward you know toward 1917, um, really what they have are a really strong technical side of things, right? They have best hair and makeup, best sound and score, best cinematography, obviously, um, which you know may not be as big. That um, now so the ones that they kind of are eh, kind of almost even in. So uh, production, they both have a nomination for best production. Um, 1917 did win the PGA award, so they probably will win that one. Um, and you know the PGA awards have been pretty. Uh, indicative of the past, because produ- producers make a big a- uh, element up of the of the guild, um, and 1917 won that. Now that said, the fact that they won may not be as much of a surprise because, due to the job of producers, you know there may be there have been some time that you know they wouldn't vote for a foreign indie film as much just because that's the way the jobs producers do. Um, so maybe you know Parasite just never really had a chance of winning production in the first place, um, at least for producing work, right? Um, Directing-wise, um, the DGA Awards are next week, um, so we don't know who's won that one yet. Now, Sam Mendes does have the um, best uh, director for Going Lows, but that's a completely different group. Oh, sorry, one more thing about the production is that because it's also a preferential voting system, which the Oscars does, that's another reason why it's kind of an early indicator of who might win Best Picture. Uh, finally, we have... Um, neither of them have any acting awards, actually. However... Parasite kind of has won by proxy by winning the Screen Guild Awards over even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, doing so in a first-past-the-post system, um, which, again, different than the preferential system, so we don't know how indicative that is. Um, the other last one kind of at the end is BAFTA Awards, which are the same time, I believe, as uh, or the week before the Oscars, so, the, you know, two weeks from now. So I am um, hesitant to call the BAFTA a real indicator, partially because, you know, it's British film, um, and, you know, 1917 is, you know, by a British director. Uh, it's for a British topic, you know, British soldiers and World War I. Um, so then, you know, I think 1917 winning BAFTA awards, you know, obviously definitely is good for them, props to them if they do so. But I don't think it's as big a deal as if Parasite were to win the BAFTA awards. So, you know, who knows? I think the DJs will probably be the real indicator of who... Uh, is the favorite to win between the two. And, you know, like I said, what sounds like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood may not be here. Um, we do have the... Uh, uh, both of them are nominated for a Writing Guild Award, though I suspect it's probably going to go to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood if, you know, it's going to be between 1917 and, and um, 
and uh, Parasite for for director and and Awardo. Who knows? Maybe Tarantino sneaks in again. This this is getting you know nonsense madness. And you know, I'm almost kind of glad that you know. I think people are kind of glad Parasite did just because it keeps the race interesting and not being a coronation for 1917 at the end of it all. So. But that's enough about the films that have happened, uh, the award ceremonies that have happened so far. Let's go ahead and talk about the films that I've watched uh, so far for the Oscar death race. So we're already about, you know, 10-ish minutes into the episode, uh, got a, you know, about a fourth of the way through, and I already have to, I have almost twice as many films to talk about, eight as opposed to normal four or five or so. Uh, so apologies if these reviews are a little bit more expedited than I uh, would have in past episodes. That's kind of the nature of the Oscars death race in this abbreviated time. So first up, uh, let's go to the... Uh, the Two Popes, uh, which is kind of one of the awards with kind of the, the major awards uh, eligible uh, actor, supporting actor, adapted screenplay, actor for Jonathan Price playing Pope Francis, and best supporting actor uh, for Anthony Hopkins playing uh, Pope Benedict. So this was actually the last film of 2019 that I watched uh, for... Oh, um, I actually ended up watching, I think, the 90, 91 range, depending on how you count sword films. Um, in that count. Um, but anyway, I watched The Two Popes on December 31st uh, on my phone uh, via Netflix uh, So while on vacation. Uh, so yeah, so, you know, for me personally growing up, uh, so I grew up, you know, Catholic, uh, Filipino, um, and uh, it kind of comes with the territory. And I remember growing up uh, when Pope John Paul II died, I was in seventh grade when that happened. Um, and, you know, there was obviously the whole uh, election process with uh, uh, and it, with, with Pope Benedict. Um, and then I was in my junior, senior year of college when he decided to step down and become Pope Emeritus uh, and let uh, and have a new Pope come in. Um, and that is, uh, and that ended up becoming Pope Francis. So, um, kind of two very formative periods of my life I can place myself in uh, watching this. Now, uh, if you follow anything along with Catholic, with, with the Catholic Church, uh, obviously there's a lot going on. Um, but the, one of the biggest interesting things in the church right now, uh, you know, as someone who's not like super, super into following church politics, um, is essentially there's a growing sense of where does the where does the church fit into the broader scope of of the world, right? Um, Pope Benedict kind of represented a traditional, you know, and you see this in the film, he represented a traditional kind of almost ivory tower approach where the process, the dogma, the traditions are in and of themselves, you know, uh, salvation. And, and, and by doing those things, you will induce, you know, the change you want to see in the world. Whereas, you know, uh, Francis represents a more liberal side of things. Um, you know, uh, it's just kind of alluded to in the film, but, you know, potentially this discussion nowadays in the church of potentially allowing married men to become priests um, due to the declining priesthood, especially in remote, you know, say in the Amazon, super remote areas, allowing married men to become priests to serve there, uh, which, you know, traditionalists like Benedict would have uh, uh, scoffed at and, 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 and ridiculed out of hand. So, I think, you know, with that context, from I think this film hit me, I think, a lot harder than someone who maybe is not as well-versed in those church politics. Um, but that being said, I think, uh, I don't know, man, It just focusing on the awards here, I think Price and Hopkins did an amazing job. You know, the film largely is mostly conversation between these two point of views uh, embodied by these two men. And you kind of can see neither met 
you know, obviously there's antagonism between the two sides, but neither man is truly seen as truly seen as being like malicious and they portray that and then they the it's very nuanced and and you know part of it is going into the back back of uh, flashbacks of what you know uh pope francis did uh as uh as a jesuit priest in argentina and how a younger actor who plays him how that affected his approach to life um and and price is able to bring that out wonderfully i was really you know I was hoping that they would get nominated, you know, and, and I'm glad that they did. Now, I don't think they're going to win for this, and either way they do for, will win for Best Adapted Screen. I believe this is based on the play, um, which is like a fictionalized account of what might have happened in like an interaction or supposed interaction between these two. Um, but I think the fact that these two actors who largely, who make up the majority of the film through primarily their conversation and their acting with each other, it's definitely well-deserved watch, uh, well-deserved nomination. Uh, give it a watch for sure. Um, you know, especially, and make sure you stick around for the uh, post-credit scene or mid-credit scene, I guess, uh, which is set kind of during the uh, the World Cup uh, with Argentinian Pope Francis, uh, you know, watching the game alongside uh, German uh, Pope, uh, Pope Benedict or Pope Emeritus Benedict. So, uh, yeah, that's the two popes. Uh, moving on. So this is a film actually I talked about briefly, so I'm not going to go into this too much, uh, but Knives Out. So what I thought was, you know, just a fun family film for the Thanksgiving. Um, you know, really well done. Daniel Craig's, you know, Southern accent is, is phenomenal. Um, ended up getting nominated for Best Screenplay. So props to you, Ryan Johnson. Uh, you still got it in you. Uh, you know, I... I probably consider myself one of the ones who didn't really have too much beef with with the Last Jedi. You know, some quarrels, but overall, you know, I, I definitely see what he was trying to do, and I think this kind of shows that Ryan Johnson is a good screenplay and, and can be a good director, especially when given his own original material to work with. Um, watch this, you know, as I mentioned before, at Kips Bay on on December eighth. Um, yeah, not too much. I mean, this kind of takes the conventions and and thoughts of and what you expect to go into a whodunit mystery kind of turns them on this head multiple times um and it kind of plays some probe straight kind of turns them on their head um but it you never really entirely sure what what happened until it actually happens on screen you can't really call anything so um you know, I'll leave it at that, but Knives Out if you haven't seen it yet definitely one of the most enjoyable films uh, I saw last year uh, next up, we'll move on to the to the animated features uh, with again, which again, uh, Frozen two somehow did not get nominated. Um, so yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we have first off the one I did mention in the film in the um, in the animated episode. Uh, I lost my body. Um, I watched this one uh, December thirtieth on Netflix on my phone. So you can tell what I kind of did during vacation. Um, you know, lots of watching. So um, yeah, this is a fence film. Um, that that premiered at Cannes, won the award there for for a new director. Um, it definitely is a very different film. Uh, French cinema, is, French animated cinema is actually always really interesting. I remember watching The Red Turtle a couple of years ago. Um, it's very, it's always very contemplative. Um, and yeah, so I think this film. Hmm, I'm not really sure what to make. I. I think I, I'm glad that I watched I Lost My Body. I think it's one of those that's really a thinker and you need to figure out what exactly it means. It's not one that you throw on uh, for your kids to kind of watch. Um, but it kind of, again, goes to show that, you know, animation is not a genre. It's really a medium by which the 
a story can be portrayed for any audience, right? Um, and I think in terms of animation, it definitely has a unique style. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things is it kind of gives a different sense. So a lot of films, you can uh, you can obviously see things through film. It's audiovisual, so you can also hear things. Some films, in the other senses, you know, uh, smell, right? If, if you portray something on a way, a particular way, you can smell it. Uh, really good food uh, films, um, which I've seen a number in my days, makes you can almost taste the food. But very, but it's really not that often you see a film that really makes you feel something. And the way that this hand kind of wanders through Paris, um, you can kind of feel it uh, as you watch it. So I think, you know, I also think it's definitely worth a gander at, I think. Um, I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. Um, I think based on the other awards, it's probably going to go to Toy Story 4. Um, and if it didn't, I probably would have personally preferred going to, to Missing Link. But again, I guess as a, as a showcase of what's out there in the world of cinema, um, I'm glad that, that, that this is here. And similarly, um, so instead of Icy Frozen, we get Icy Klaus. So Klaus uh, is another best animated feature. Um, I literally just watched it uh, as uh, tonight, uh, so January 20th, uh, on Netflix. Uh, so easy watch for anyone who's trying to, to get through the Oscars death race. Um, and, you know, I would describe it, and instead of, you know, uh, I I would say that this is kind of a almost Dr. Seuss Grinchy, um, where it kind of gives, you know, the, a redemption story of oh this person doesn't really isn't really generous or or in the Christmas spirit so to speak yada 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 but through their actions of you know being a Santa basically they functionally at at some point uh, grow their heart and change their community for the better kind of like the grins though without you know the the song and dance right and Doctor Seuss animation um, I will say that the animation style of this was really unique. I'm actually not quite sure where um, Klaus came from. Uh, let me look it up real quick. Oh, it's Spanish. Okay, so it's a Spanish film um, by Sergio Pablos. Um, and again, this is kind of so it's like the animation style are doing things I'd never seen in any other traditional like DreamWorks or Disney style of animation. Um, some different interesting things with layering and color and um, you know the the backdrops, um, as well as having some interesting things. Yeah, you know, uh, I I think I think again, I think this is definitely one you kind of throw on around the Christmas time. Maybe that's why they ended up getting nominated. I mean, like you know, not like you know, campaigning process happens during Christmas. Good feel, good Christmas things. Easy to watch on Netflix. So props to Netflix for the nomination here again. I guess um, I think that's that's the story here. Netflix just has so many nominations, but just isn't going to end up getting. Uh, winning as many awards but you know i'm glad they're there um so yeah klaus if you still are somehow in the christmas spirit you know go ahead and give this one a watch um so yeah next up we have uh moving to some more other technical awards we have lion king uh which you know some people thought was an animated feature um i but disney decided to have it not be eligible for that and say it's a live action film even though there's apparently literally only one live action shot of the Sahara everything else is, is CG um, I saw this back in July 20th uh, at the AMC Kip Bay Theater here in New York um, and I mean what is there to say uh, it's literally a shot for shot remake of The Lion King uh, using photorealistic animals uh, in CG which again from a purely visual effects point of view amazing um, that they're able to get that kind of level of lifelike realness. That said, I think my quarrel with the Lion King remake is that 
well, one, they left out a lot of material. If, you know, um, like, for example, I watched Aladdin, uh, I watched Aladdin three times this year, this last year. Uh, I went ahead and rewatched the original, um, you know, an animated feature, which I grew up with in my childhood. Uh, I watched the remake with Will Smith, and I watched, ended up being here in New York, uh, I think for like my birthday or something like that. I, ended up, I, forget, I forget the exact occasion, uh, but we ended up going to go watch um, the live action, uh, the live action um, Aladdin. And each brought something different. Each, each told the same story, but in their own unique way, added their own plot beats, added their own songs and rigmarole, and, and played to the strengths of that medium. Um, for example, the Broadway Aladdin uh, really plays up the razzle-dazzle song and dance element of it, which, frankly, if you look at Aladdin, does, there aren't actually that many songs, per se, um, in terms of relative to the runtime, um, which obviously a Broadway will will make up. And also, by, I will say, my favorite genie, this may be scandalous, is probably the Broadway genie, um, even more so than Robin Williams somehow, but um, it is what it is. That, that's maybe how it works for me. Um, and you know, like, it. and then on the other hand, the live action uh, Aladdin, you know, offers us something a little bit different than the animated one. And one of the benefits, I think, of animation is that it really allows you to express emotion you just can't in real life, partly through the principles of stretch and shrink and, you know, using keyframes to, to distort the figure to really sell the emotion, which you can't do in in live action. That's almost kind of like why... Um, uh, uh, suit. Uh, what's her, what's her name? The, the the actress who plays uh Daenerys, um Amelia Clark in Game of Thrones is, is almost used like a light as a cartoon character, which is so expressive because of her eyebrows, right? Um, and people say it's an eyebrows, but that kind of ability to distort her face to really sell that. She saw this in Last Christmas, which I watched last year, to really sell that cartoonishness of her appearance helps sell the emotion a lot stronger. So all that being said, looping back around to Lion King. I think that's where this movie kind of fell short for me, where the visual effects, the technical achievement of replicating animals in the CG world, great, amazing, cool. But because you had such dedication to having it be photorealistic, it didn't allow for the stretch of that you need to get to really sell the emotions of the characters involved. And by not mixing up the 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 beat starts the the plot beats. You don't really get that. You could have even taken any stuff from the live from the live from the Broadway live Lion King. You know, a lot of songs that ended up not getting ported over there. So, kind of a disappointment. Um, <coughs> uh, I love the uh, technical element, but um, yeah, not 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 the one for me. Um, next up, we have Avengers Endgame, which. Oh boy, uh, probably one of the biggest movie stories of the year last year. Watched this, did I watch this opening night? I think I did. Uh, April 25th, I forget if that was exactly opening night, but April 25th at the East 6th, AMC East 6th on 19th Street here in New York City. Um, can you guys triangulate where I work to try it based on where I've been watching movies? Um, but uh, Avengers Endgame, uh, I mean... I feel like this is kind of par for the course for the for this category where the big comic book action film probably will get the best visual effects. Um, and I mean, with, with good reason, right? Um, what they did with time traveling and kind of all, all the other behind-the-scenes stuff to, to get something of this magnitude to, to work. Um, 
and you know they Avengers won for the the SGA Awards Best Stunt Team, um, which you know the stunt team is is a huge part in getting these visual effects to really sell and work for the audience. So, props to props to the Avengers Endgame team. Um, I mean, even the stuff that's like you know as as basic characters that you kind of forget, Groot, Rocket, Raccoon, um, you know the magic of, or the the effects of. Um, of Captain Marvel, Ant-Man growing and shrinking. You know, at this point, it's so common for us to think about that, oh, yeah, that's what this character does, and it works, and just works almost. You almost forget how much work goes into all the technical achievements, and I feel like this is almost kind of like, a, hey, this is a prop for all of the achievements for everything, and making it, frankly, one thing is making them all be consistent across all 20-some-odd films leading up to this. Um like if there was a producing award, not the production design, just like straight up producing award at the Oscars, it's definitely going to Kevin Kevin Feige. Um, I'm pretty sure he's won some sort of honorary lifetime achievement award for this. Um, but man, props to that that team for that. Um, as far as where I think it falls in terms of you know uh, best visual effects, eh, I mean this this is probably was one of the the front corners to probably win it. Um, unless they kind of go for the, oh yeah, 1917 ending up, you know, being able to de-age in real time and that technology is, who knows where the Oscars go, maybe they'll throw it to them, um, but yeah, um, and then following down this route of technicals, uh, we have Star Wars, Vice of Skywalker, uh, not only for best visual effects, but also for best score and best sound editing, um, though not sound mixing, um, I watched this one. Uh, this one I did not watch. Definitely did not watch opening night because I had stuff going on opening night. But I did end up watching it the Friday after, December twentieth at Kipps Bay Theater in uh, here in New York. So, <sighs> Star Wars. Um, obviously, there's been a lot said about Star Wars and Raylo and just everything going into how kind of the opposite of what I just talked about with Avengers. How there was this vision for Avengers that just was not there for. Star Wars, and frankly, I mean, it's really, it's really hard, right, for Kathleen Kennedy and the team there. I mean, at least with the with the Avengers franchise, they really started with like no expectations with Iron Man, and we're just able to build, build, build up. Whereas for the Star Wars new trilogy, they came in with high expectations, and then how do you please the old fans and the new fans, right? So that's really the story here with Star Wars, and. I gotta say, like, just that, that as, okay, I'll say that I enjoyed the film uh, for, as a way of entertainment, you know, for all the things here, score, John Williams score is a classic, he's, like I said last week, nominated across seven decades, uh, 52 times, uh, you know, his, his score is classic, some people may argue that, hey, he doesn't need to be nominated for the same music he wrote however many years ago, whatever, I love that score, it's amazing, um, classic all time, um, and all the technical stuff, like the visual effects of, you know, the hyperdrive, the sips, uh, the lightsabers, the droids, getting, and and even the, the practical effects with like the the costume design of the of the animals and prosthetics, right? Like all Star Wars it will always be a technical film that I enjoy to watch from a technical level. Um, I really enjoy listening to uh, Adam Savage's podcast and and whenever he has you know stories about you know. Just the the how to of science fiction films. Star Wars is always up there in the pantheon of science fiction films with amazing visual and practical effects. And when as long as they can keep that, I will find something to enjoy in these films. Script wise, character wise, like not 
I'll just say not not what I was hoping for. Well, I will say I, without spoiling too much, I'm glad some characters got the ending that I hope they did. Some characters, unfortunately, over the course of this trilogy were way underutilized. Um, but I mean, like, if you just turn off your brain and just enjoy, ooh, the references, ooh, the the explosions and the fights and the scenes, like, yeah, I think I think that's great. Um, though, like I said, with Disney and Frozen, Disney, commit. Commit to loss, commit to sacrifice, don't backtrack yourselves. It will make it so much better if you do so. Just do that. <laughs> All right. Last film for this week, uh, Ad Astra. So this is what I was actually had, had been hoping to watch, and then this just kind of got away from me. But when I saw on the plane that Ad Astra was uh, flying back from my vacation, that Ad Astra was on the plane, I definitely made a priority to watch this. Um, it's nominated for Best Sound Mixing, so <laughs> plain earphones probably not the best way to really hear that, though who knows, maybe it's a better way if you're immersed uh, in, in, in headphones. Uh, watch this January 11th on my plane somewhere over the Pacific Ocean. So I will say that, you know, I really enjoyed Brad Pitt's acting here. Um, and also, you know, I just love me a good space story. Um, all kinds. The slow pondering, 2001-esque ones, which, and Gravity and Interstellar, which is kind of, or not Gravity, I don't think I actually watched Gravity yet. Hmm. Uh, but Interstellar, 2001s, like those kind of films, I'll, I'll enjoy Ad Astley Phillips in that camp. Um, you know, uh, space action films with aliens and so on, um, I'll watch those. Um, so I, this kind of is the film that's kind of geared towards someone like me. Um, as far as sound mixing, yeah, I'll say that 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 the use of, of, of you know, the difference between sound mixing and sound editing, as far as I have, I've understood, is editing is basically the foley, the creation of the sounds, and then mixing is kind of creating the soundscape post-editing, layering the sounds in the correct way. Um, so, yeah, I think it was actually used to great effect. I definitely recall, I mean, I was obviously paying attention to this in the, movie, in the movie, times when the sound kind of was definitely used to complement the story and the film, um, and the characterization um, of Brad Pitt's character. Um, will it win? I don't know. I think the fact that it was the only one nominated, like it was nominated in this one, but not the other, leads me to believe it may actually be you know more ahead than we think. Um, I will still say that Ford versus Ferrari is just you know in general car movies. I think have a really good chance at these. And 1917 being kind of the technical darling, um, probably also has a really good chance as well. So, uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, those are all the films I watched. Again, apologies for not a super in-depth review. Um, it's crazy trying to watch all these films and, and you know, not don't have time to write up full notes on all of them. Uh, but yeah, let's take a look into what else I have to watch uh, for next week uh, and beyond. So we discussed eight films this week. Uh, most of them films I didn't have to go out of my way to watch, uh, except for Clouds, which I went out of my way to watch um, this week. Um after the nominations were given. Um, but next week, you know, I'm kind of out of films like that, so now I have to go actually go and watch films. Uh, oh, the horror. Um, watch films and and try to catch up on this death race. Um, so for next week, uh, episode seven. Um, so I have t- 10 films on my docket that I hopefully plan to watch somehow over the next week. Um, first up, we have all the acting movies. Um, we have Judy and Harriet for Best Actress. Or best, yeah, best actress uh, with Judy also doing double duty for hair and makeup, and Harriet doing double duty for song. I believe both of those are available on Amazon. If anyone else is looking for those, um, 
Pain and Glory. I watched at the Angelica Film Theater uh, this past week um, with Antonio Banderas for both international film as well as Best Actor. Um, really enjoyed that one. I'll talk about it more next week. Um, and uh, Richard Jewell, which is the one I, I ignored while it was in theaters and can't find. Uh, luckily, if you know what the sale on the Seven Seas, you can find a, a, a way to watch that. So um, that'll hopefully be something I can get done by next week. Um, also, all five documentaries um, are available for me to watch. Um, Honeyland, uh, I believe, is on Hulu. Uh, also, the double movie for international films. Uh, Edge of Democracy, American Factory are on um uh, Netflix uh, for summer is on pbs.com or org. Um, though I believe there's like a 95 minute version that's different than the one on there. I have to double check on that one. Um, I'll just watch whatever is on PBS's uh, version uh, website. Um, and then The Cave, uh, which uh, I know people are having some trouble finding, but it's also on Amazon uh, online. So I might just go ahead and buy that one. Um, I don't know if there's a, a something on the seven seas for that one, so um, that might be what I have to do. Um, in addition, uh, next are also the international films. Like I mentioned, I already watched Pain and Glory, Honeyland. I'll be watching with the documentaries, and I actually today just got back from watching Les Miserables. Uh, luckily, if you're in New York, the Angelica Film Center is still showing that in screen. So uh, make sure to go check that out if that's part of your death uh, death race. Um, you know, interesting, very different film from Pain and Glory. Um, and then, in addition, uh, to finish up the rest of the technical films, I have Maleficent uh, to watch, which I believe is also on Amazon, so I'll be watching that. So, again, Judy, Harriet, Pain and Glory, Richard Jewell, Honeyland, Edge of Democracy, American Factory, For Sama, The Cave, uh, Les Miserables, and uh, Maleficent? Wait, did I have to do 11 next week? I, I don't know, 10 or 11 next week. No, so lots of talking for me. Um, in addition, we also have um, the ASC Awards, which are for cinematography, as well as I mentioned before, the DGA Awards, which will kind of be the indicator of whether or not Parasite or uh, 1917 are kind of uh, in, uh, who's kind of in the lead for, for Best Picture. Um, and then following up uh, for week uh, eight, today's five, six, week seven, Oh, two weeks from now um, will be the IFC Center Sorts. Um, so the IFC Center here in New York uh, always does a sort film uh, for um, the animated sorts, the live action sorts, and the documentary sorts. Um, these are coming out uh, starting January 29th and 31st. Uh, so I'm waiting on the exact details for that. Um, that's kind of why I'm a little bit behind in the standings for the race because I'm just going to go ahead and wait until the IFC Center has it and watch them all there. Um, but once I do, I'll kind of jump up out of nowhere, hopefully. So um, yeah, IFC Center sorts. Um, and then uh, Corpus Christi is the one that is kind of everyone's white whale, I think, at this point. It's the last international film. Um, there's not really any showings in the States and no, no, nothing on the seven seas yet. Um, so there actually is a, um, there actually is a film fest, I believe, in Stamford, Connecticut, which I could, uh, this coming weekend, Saturday, go take the train up there and, um, and watch that film festival. However, uh, and uh, sorry, fellow death racers, but 
I am also a big fan of Magic the Gathering. And as you guys know by now, I'm in New York. Uh, Magic Fest New Jersey is happening that same day, and I'm signed up to compete there. So wish me luck, because uh, I'm giving up watching Corpus Christi in person for this. Um, signed up long ago before I was planning on doing the death race. So um, yeah, and then also Breakthrough for the last song. Um, I'm saving Breakthrough until the last possible moment. Uh, if I'm able to watch Corpus Christi, I'll go ahead and watch all of Breakthrough. Um, no one gave me guidance, so I'm just going to go ahead and say, if I'm not going to be able to complete the death race, I'm not going to force myself to watch Breakthrough. If there is a chance I can, I will watch. go ahead and watch Breakthrough. So there, that, there it is. You have my word on, I will watch Breakthrough if it will make me complete the death race. And finally, to wrap up this episode like we do every week, another film that uh, is not nominated for the Oscars. Unlike Knives Out, this one is definitely not going to be nominated, partially because we'll be past, past uh, the nomination period. Um, so this past uh, this past Wednesday, the 15th, instead of watch, going and watching another Oscar film, I went down to Kips Bay and watched uh, the fan premiere of uh, Weathering With You here in the States. Um, so Weathering With You is the was actually the Japanese submission for Best International Feature, um, which, as you know, was was not sortlisted and, and not accepted for the final five, um, which would have been the same because I really do did enjoy this film. Um, so Weathering With You is, is the follow-up to, not a sequel, not a sequel um, to Your Name by director Makoto Shinkai. Um, I watched a lot of his films over over the, the holiday on my plane, um, but Weathering With You... Um, kind of in the same vein of 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 your name. Um, again, I'm not gonna give too many spoilers. I believe it's still in some theaters, so definitely go check it out in theaters uh, if you can. Definitely would recommend recommend you check it out. Uh, kind of my overall thoughts. If you've watched your name, um, let's see. I'll say that your name probably has a more coherent, tightly written story that follows all of the conventional narrative paths and structure and setup and hero's journey and all that. Um, and uh, whereas Weathering With You is a little bit more rambling, a little bit more over the place, not as tightly written. Um, I also say the characters in Your Name definitely he did, a, he did a better job of characterizing them and getting you to understand who these characters are, what makes them tick. Uh, some of that characterization, unfortunately, was not as present in Weathering With You. Um, however, as a trade-off for both of these things, I think that messiness of both the plot as well of the characters and their motivations and such kind of made the film a little better and distinct from your name. And I think that's a good because if he did the exact same thing as your name, yeah, enjoyable, but also not pushing himself and going as a different, in a different direction. Um, so it, I'd say this film challenges you, made you think like some decisions, choices that actors make, like in your name, Okay, you would definitely have done everything that they did, or like you think you would have. Um, in Weathering with you, they ask you some questions about the character's choices, like would I have done that? Would like who's in the right here? Like what's the correct thing to do here? I don't know what I would have done. And the more you think about it, the more it mulls over in your head. The more I enjoy the film in that regard. Um, animation wise, I think it's a little step up from your name, um, especially the water animation. I think it's even better than it was in Garden of War, which I think was my take previously on Makoto Sinkai's best water and rain animation. Um, some stuff he does with the camera uh, going in 3D space in the 2D environments. So it's just mind blowing. Um, let's see. Uh, the music with Radrims, I think your name's music was a little bit more memorable, a little more, maybe it's just that type of music, you know, more up rock, pop, pop rock type music, um, or Japanese pop rock, I guess, um, 
definitely something that 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 resonated with me i, I mean i had the music on as a alarm clock for for a lot of 2018 uh so yeah um and then uh and then i think the last thing i'll say is i really enjoyed how he made tokyo its own character in this film which i've been wanting him to do for a super long time uh he has a tendency to really prefer almost like the oasis of nature either separate from or hidden within tokyo but here the metropolitan city element of tokyo was out in full force and its own character within the film so um definitely give weathering with you a shot um who knows i'm thinking about doing another podcast down the line of um you know just watching as many films by a particular director or in a particular genre and i might start off with the makoto sinkai so uh keep an eye on that uh potentially coming up in the future um but yeah uh other than that uh like i said a lot of films for me to to watch this week so better get get sleeping and then and so i can get some rest to, to follow up um but before we do um just some shout outs shout outs to goldderby.com i forgot to mention them last week but you know definitely a great resource for anything oscars and and awards social related um check out the oscars death race subreddit um again you can find slight astronomers threes uh tracking seat there you can find this discussions uh if you are the one to prone to sailing the high seas and search for one piece um or not uh you can find you know uh not links but you know help finding particular uh uh guides uh there um also, shout out to some other subreddits that I've, I've happened upon in this last week. Um, our Oscar race, no S, uh, our Oscar race. Um, it's just in general, also our movies, um, just for discussion about the award shows and 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 so on. Um, let's see. Uh, give us a listen. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, go ahead and sub- make sure to subscribe, leave a review um, on Spotify, on Google Play Store, on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, uh, one, <coughs> sorry. One fun thing I actually did um, this past uh, weekend uh, for the long holiday weekend was I actually got a letterboxed. Um, and so something I had done for the past uh, three, year, three years or so, 2017, 18, 19, was I actually would write down in like a notepad on my phone or physical notepad actually at one point, um, all the movies I've watched in the year. Um, and so I spent the weekend going back, looking at my calendar and chats with friends, trying to figure out when I watch what movie so that I can actually get my letterboxed up to date, um, and tag things appropriately. Um, so yeah, you can see kind of what movies I've watched over at least from 2017 onward, um, and keep track with my Oscar viewing progress, um, on letterboxed as well. So give it a listen. I'll link it in the, uh, show notes. Um, and finally, as always, a special thanks to Kevin MacLeod, who created the intro and outro music. You can find more of his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io, link in the show description. Um, but yeah, this has been an Ninja Boy Media Productions, and this is the Oscars Death Race Podcast. Uh, best luck of everyone trying to find a way to watch Corpus Christi. I know you, I'm in there with you. Uh, until next week, uh, happy watching. Uh, so yeah, bye guys. Bye.